Smoky hangover at season preview time, boys. Ricky LeBlue, Andrew Alex. Uh, R- Ricky, how's it going? L- let's start with you first. I'm excited. This has been a long time coming. And uh, quite frankly, I need to uh, make up for my insanely absurd prediction from last year of nine wins. Yes. So I'm very much looking forward to this. I think there's a lot of play within the joints this year, and I think we're going to hash it out. Fair enough. Andrew, what's going on, buddy? I'm sitting here with a copy of Decision Points by George W. Bush. I am told that Brent Pry read that in the offseason as he had a lot of decisions to make. Just kidding. But we have a lot of decisions to make as to how we're going to go about doing this preview, how it's going to be formatted. Luckily, those decisions were made before the podcast. You guys don't have to hear us kind of talk about structural technicalities. In a podcast production, it's a complicated business. It's not for everyone. Luckily, it's for Mike McDaniel. He figured something out before we could even get on. This is the most planning I think I've ever done for this podcast in my entire life outside of like planning a time for us to record and planning a time for us to like connect with a guest that we have on from time to time. So that's basically the amount of planning I do for this podcast because we're all kind of just on the same page all the time. Kind of know we we text throughout the day and that's how we plan. We very rarely get on the horn before we hit record and talk extensively about what we're going to do it's usually a one to two minute conversation are we good are we ready to go yes uh yeah, tonight... i actually have created a mathematical algorithm yes for your tweets per hour that translates into how early your baby's going to go to sleep from there i can determine <laughs> like if you say 9 30 should i be home by 9 45 should i be home by 10 15 and from there you know we kind of just rock and roll so I, five years of this we're all on the same wavelength Full transparency for the listeners at home. Uh, we scheduled this podcast for 9.30 p.m. on Monday night, August 28th. Uh, Michael, what time is it right now? It's 10.48. But listen, hey, I warned you at <laughs> 8.45. I gave a thorough warning of about 45 minutes. I said, hey, guys, uh, overtired baby it's not looking good i tried to give like a heads up i'm like probably not gonna be good till a little after 10 so it's 10 30 no so, and, and to be fair no? we respect that you, you we do respect, yes. we respect that it... i do but it doesn't mean i'm not gonna joke you for it yeah. yes which i'm just happy that the podcast survived you having a kid like it... you have a kid the kid is one we still do a podcast it's pretty did... impressive it it did, and I was very – the listeners know this. I was very not present a lot last year during this podcast. No. This was one of those things that happened. No way. You know? So, lucky for you guys, I'm back. Uh, Roundtable. We're going Luck- roundtable. <laughs> Here we are. For lucky for you guys, I'm back. <laughs> roundtable discussion. That's what we're going to have tonight. Roundtable discussion, season preview. Then we're going to go through – literally all the games so uh if you stick around long enough you'll hear that too are you ready yeah go for it all right let's do it over under the number of games that grant wells named the starting quarterback of virginia tech we're going to set the number at five and a half grant wells starts over five and a half games or under five and a half games so show your work andrew 
I'm going to take the over on this one. I mean, you have obviously well starting the first game of the year against Old Dominion. I think that he will play well enough in the Old Dominion game to not get benched mid-game. I think that's a game where if he was playing extremely poorly, maybe they would pull the plug. That'll earn him the starting spot for the Purdue game. I think that Big Ten on the road, they'll probably stick with the experience. Marshall is a game where if Virginia Tech were to drop to like one and three or something like that, or Wells just clearly wasn't playing up to par, he would also have a chance to get benched. I do think he'll survive it. And at that point, you know, Pitt, you could lose it, but they're not going to bench you for Florida State, and that's the sixth game of the year. I do not think that Kyron Drones is coming in until after the Florida State game. I do not think that, you know, Pitt's defense is lining up to be good, and historically they're always good. Florida State's just going to be a different animal this year. You know, that's really finally, for the first time in almost a decade, rounding into form. It's a confidence killer. You're not going to throw a kid out there first collegiate start first power five start first real meaningful football you've played at the collegiate level uh you know and, and set them up for failure set them up to get embarrassed so i think that after that game would be if things were going moderately poorly that's when they pull the plug but that gets you to six so uh you know barring injury i think wells is good through there rick I'm going to go over. I don't think Drones makes very many starts at all this year. I have a feeling that Wells is going to play most of, if not all, of the season as the starting quarterback. I don't think that's because he's going to have a great year, but I I believe that Brent Pry um, has come come to the conclusion that Wells is just better than Drones right now, and Drones is not ready to be a Power 5 level which we're going to have to find a replacement for that term soon a power five level starting quarterback i do think drones plays in some of these gimmick packages but i have a feeling that wells is going to be starting most of the year so i'll take the over i'm gonna take the over too uh my thought is similar to andrew's and it's also similar to yours, Rick, in that I think that if you were to go to drones on more of a full-time basis, barring injury, I don't think you do it until you get probably two of the toughest defenses on your schedule out of the way. NC State's going to have a pretty good defense too, but you're not playing them until you know, late November. Um, I think you wait till after Pitt, after Florida State, if you're going to really get drones out there on a more regular basis, if that's the time you feel like you're going to pull the plug. Uh, with that said, I also agree with you, Ricky, that I think Pry has seen enough, and Tyler Bowen too, I think they've seen enough out of Wells in his development and with the new playmakers and his grasp of the offense. I just feel like they think that they're a better football team when he's on the field right now. Whether or not fans agree with that or not, I I don't know. But my thought is... You know, Wells was in a tough spot last year. I think we all acknowledge that, but he also didn't play well, right? He also didn't play well. I think that Wells certainly needs to be better by himself, right? And then I also think that having better talent around him will also certainly move the needle a bit too. I could see a scenario too where, you know, Virginia Tech's just having a really, really rough year, right? Let's say they're, 
you know, got three wins or something like that going into the month of November, I could see drones, you know, getting starts late in the year and, and being the guy moving forward a little bit later, once maybe Virginia tech is on the cusp of missing a bowl game or something like that. If it, if it goes real sideways, um, I could see a scenario where drones maybe becomes a starter a bit later in the year, maybe in November. Uh, but I think that we go over five and a half starts for Grant Wells, of course, barring injury, but I think based on performance, I think it's going to take a little bit for pride to pull the plug, to be honest with you guys. Like, I don't think it's going to be a really short leash for a sign of trouble situation for Grant Wells. I think it would have to be like abhorrently bad, like a Ryan Willis, like four or five turnover game, like against BC bad. I know he didn't have all the turnovers in that game, but he had several of them. Um, We can have somebody go back and fact check that pretty sure he had like three or four of the six turnovers in that football game. Like, I think it's going to take that kind of performance to get him to really think about sitting Grant Wells. And I just don't think he's going to do that in the month of September with the non-conference schedule with some winnable games. Uh, I, I think that that Wells is going to be the starter for a little bit here. Uh, any other thoughts there before we move on? No, I am curious, though, if if Virginia Tech does make the move to Kyron Drones, what's his leash like? At, at what point would they say either A, we're uh, going to go back to Wells, or B, do we go to one of the younger guys? I think if Drones becomes the starter, like, they make that call. I don't think you see Grant Wells again. Like, I think that's it. Uh, now, as far as what his leash would be in terms of, like, seeing pop Watson, I think Virginia tech would prefer not to burn his red shirt. So I think it would kind of depend on when in the year we're seeing drones on a more regular basis. Like if, if it's a grant Wells injury, which I mean, we're, we're talking on the basis of performance here for this question, but let's say there was a grant Wells injury and all of a sudden it's Kyron drones, QB one, and let's assume pop Watson QB two. Right. I think at that point, things get a little bit more interesting. So I think if drones really struggles, then I think you maybe burn the red shirt on pop instead of just mailing it in for the year. I don't see any reason why Virginia Tech would do that, depending on when the injury happened. Like If Wells got hurt in September, you're not going to mail it in for the year. So if Drones is really struggling, I think maybe you say, okay, let's see what Pop's got as a freshman. But I think if Drones takes over on a full-time basis in like the middle of the year, you know, you're making that decision not for this year. You're making it that decision for the future, right? Uh that's not to say you're not going to try to win football games this year with drones as a starter, but I, I assume if you're making that move based on performance, you're not feeling great about the way the offense is trending. You're going to let drones kind of prove himself a little bit uh, because otherwise, why did you go out and get him? You know what I mean? So just that's to, why... to, to just to add to the fact check really quick, four turnovers in that game for Ryan Willis, three yeah. picks and a fumble. So I was, <laughs> I was ironically right on the money, but I didn't think I was all right. Fair enough. Uh, Andrew, any thoughts on that in terms of... Sorry, like, Mike, leash? I don't think that's Andrew. I think that's uh, Middle that Tennessee Rick? State I, legend Rick Stockstill. I was going to say, nobody can see this, but Andrew just <laughs> had a Rick Stockstill uh, <laughs> background to the Zoom. So just wanted to get that get that out there. The legend lives. Yeah, and you should have seen how hard I was struggling uh, to get this background up. Like, I saved, like, five pictures of Rick Stockstill from the internet 
none of them compatible with what you need to make something into a Zoom Andrew, background. Andrew's got like a Google Drive folder of Rick Stockstill photos. No, there's like literally going to be like six to eight pictures of Rick Stockstill just saved on this computer to add to the collection already. But I guess that will come along, you know, Only when we stocks, build the shrine. Baby. Only stocks. No, but my legitimate question would be, you know, Prime mentions, and I, I think some people buy into this more than I would, but I want to hear what you guys think. Wells is the starter, but drones will play, right? Like, is that the words of someone who wants to make teams prepare for two quarterbacks? Or is that the words of someone who doesn't want to get the guy who you just convinced to transfer in to already start looking at his other options? Or is there actual truth to that? Like, will we see anything more than a once a game Quincy Patterson style package? I'm not too convinced. I think we'll see drones maybe in packages down by the goal line, maybe similar to Quincy. I think, I mean, drones isn't like a overwhelming specimen of an athlete in terms of like, he's, you know, six, four, two forty five two fifty like Patterson was like, I don't think it's the same type of player, but I think if you're going to use drones and those types of packages, like there's only certain times where you're really going to make that work. Like, I don't think that, I don't think this is going to be a situation. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll go back on this once we recap ODU and I'll think something different, but I don't think this is going to be a situation where like Wells gets two possessions and drones gets a possession or like, God, I hope not. I, I hope <laughs> not too. Cause that's like the situation of you have two quarterbacks. You don't have any, Yep. Deal. Uh, I think it'll be more like the Quincy Patterson situation where there's going to be certain packages for him throughout the game. We'll see him here and there in a pinch. Uh, but I, I would be very surprised to see drones in like extended action in any of these games, because I feel like once you do that, if he plays well in extended action, it would be obviously a good problem for Virginia Tech to have. But if he plays really well in extended action, then Fry is inadvertently putting him in his, himself in a situation where he has a quarterback controversy that maybe he didn't necessarily want to create. And we'll just kind of have to see the situation where they're at record-wise and how that plays out. But I don't think we're going to see drones all that much. I think it's going to be coach speak and maybe a pat you know a couple plays here or there per game that's what i think it's going to be for drones yeah even with a couple plays here or there per game if you give him one drive drive goes well yeah and you have an entire fan base that saw that and they haven't seen every snap of practice since you brought this guy in yeah like you said you're opening yourself up to criticism that you don't otherwise need to open yourself up to i don't know i mean you have to trust if you're him that my decision, my staff's decision to lean on Wells is the right decision and treat Wells like, you know, the other 100 and some odd teams in college football treat their starting quarterback for the most part. I mean, when Wells turns the ball over, let's say he does it. I don't know what it'll look like against Old Dominion, but like, let's say he turns the ball over early against Old Dominion. Like you're talking to a fan base that saw this a lot last year. Wells is going to make mistakes. He's going to throw interceptions. It's just his nature as a quarterback. He's a risk taker. I think Wells is generally speaking a pretty accurate passer. 
he makes throws that he shouldn't make like from a decision make his his issue is not an accuracy issue his issue is a decision making issue he makes a lot of really poor decisions throwing in a double coverage uh instead of throwing the ball away trying to force ball in down the field like he he makes those like those were his interceptions last year it wasn't like missing a wide open guy across the middle and throwing it like 15 yards over his head it was a receiver not separating and him throwing in a tight coverage like those were the mistakes he was making and he's going to continue to try to make some of the throws that aren't there and that's where i think the mistakes are going to be made like well the hope has to be right that there aren't as many situations per se where he's being forced, you know, between a rock and a hard place to make bad decisions. Right. If you had one receiver in Caleb Smith that was consistently getting separation and obviously defenses can account for that. You can't throw the ball away every play. I'm not excusing every bad decision he ever made. I'm just saying he was in a tight spot. Like, if the bad decisions continue to pile up, which the coaching staff doesn't think they will, apparently, then, you know, he should set himself up for a situation where he's not going to be perfect. I don't think anyone expects Grant Wells to be perfect. I don't think anyone expects Grant Wells to be a top half of the ACC quarterback. I think what this coaching staff is hoping for is that Grant Wells cannot be a net negative to this team and can provide some sort of leadership in the offense consistency to help a team that's, you know, still otherwise challenged roster wise in terms of talent compared to some of the teams that they're going to be playing along the line. And I think that includes Purdue and Rutgers, uh, you know, to be able to ride the back of a defense, hopefully we'll be able to force turnovers, you know, win some football games in a fashion that, uh, the previous regime would describe as gritty. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's why you lean on Wells. But that being said, Mike, he will make mistakes. He's made mistakes throughout his entire career. Kind of are who you are to some degree. And, you know, especially if it happens in Old Dominion and that game is uh, closer than it needs to be. I, I know who the most popular guy in Blacksburg is going to be, and his name is going to be Kyron Drums. Rick, anything to add there? No. We're all on the same page, I think. <laughs> yeah. We're on the same page. All right. Moving on. Who is the most impactful newcomer from the transfer portal and why? This could be offense or defense. Ricky, I'll let you start here. I'm going to avoid the conventional route and not choose Ollie Jennings or Antoine Powell Ryland. I'm going to go with Derek Canteen. Good answer. I, my, I have a feeling he's going to be. Uh, I don't think he's going to be like a star, but I think he's going to be a reliable defender on the back end. Virginia Tech has had some injury issues in the secondary, particularly with Dorian Strong. Um, it would not shock me if Canteen ends up having to play a lot of snaps on the outside. And given his experience, uh, I think that that's a pretty good fail safe. If he ends up, you know, playing that nickel role when they when they bring in the extra DB, I think he'll be great in that role as well. This is one of the the more underrated parts of those 2016, 2017 defenses. Mook Reynolds was a wrecker at at the nickel position. Uh, he really would just blow up plays both in the pass and in the run game. 
And I don't know that Canteen will attack things the same way for on the run that Mook did. But if you can have a guy who can be able to hold up in the run and then hold up in, in, in the slot against all different sorts of receivers, it makes a huge difference. So I'm looking forward to Canteen playing a bigger role than advertised this year and maybe turning some heads. Andrew? Well, I was honestly probably going to say canteen, but if you guys are both going to say it, I'll, I will go with the conventional route. I like Jennings. I mean, you know, this is a dude, you know, from the Richmond area who, if he is the star of his team, first of all, that's a great look for what Virginia Tech is trying to do going forward. But, I mean, he was one of the most coveted, uh, you know, skill position players in the transfer portal for a reason. I mean, if you look at his season last year, up until mid-October, his lowest total yards in a game was 87. And he scored every game up to that point, except for against Virginia Tech, where anyone who remembers the fourth quarter of that ball game can tell you that he was the difference maker. He is what I assume to be a clear number one, and his presence will open things up for the likes of a Jalen Lane, who I think can be a close second here if he can truly be that number two option, or a Gosnell or a Felton or whoever. Virginia Tech's going to have legitimate options in the pass game. It comes down to Ollie Jennings, who was a power five. You know, it's not like he just was totally overlooked and went to Old Dominion. The route to success, not necessarily a straight line, but I think he has the opportunity here at Virginia Tech to really put it all together and uh, be the impact maker that this team was desperately looking for at the transfer portal this year. So I'll say Jennings. Uh, my runner-up would be the you know, the offensive lineman that we didn't get the transfer portal because he would have been very helpful. That's fair. Uh, I was going to say canteen just because I thought somebody would say APR. I would, I'm shocked. I would have thought y'all would have gone with Jennings and APR. So I was expecting somebody to go with Jennings and APR. So I was going to go with canteen. So <laughs> which uh, is what I did. <laughs> I'm just going to cover all. Of I bases. also did that. <laughs> and I agree with what you, I agree with what you guys said. So I, I'm just going to go with Antoine Powell Ryland, right? Uh, Virginia Tech is a pass rush desperately this year, right? I think tech's going to hold up pretty well in the back end, but I think the key to unlocking the next level of this Brent pride defense in year two will be being able to get after the passer. I call it the Brent pride defense because I know Chris Marv is calling the plays. He's got his fingerprints all over the thing. Uh, yeah. Who do you think you learned the scheme from, guys? Like, this is still a Brent Pry defense, right? And um, I, I think a staple of the Penn State defenses have been really good uh, in the past half decade have been their ability to get after the passer. Virginia Tech hasn't been able to do that very well in a number of years now. I think that they're going to be able to do that this year if Antoine Powell Ryland comes in and makes the difference that I think people are expecting him to make. Uh, Andrew, you mentioned the impact of having a Virginia guy succeed at Virginia Tech and Allie Jennings. Antoine Powell Rylands from the 757. Went to Florida. He was a good player at Florida. Had, had snaps, had some success, played in the SEC. This is a guy who I think is going to come in and be able to make a difference at Virginia Tech. I do think he is a substantial add out of the transfer portal. Everybody's expecting him to be very good. I'm expecting him to be very good, assuming he stays healthy, of course. 
Uh, and Virginia Tech really desperately needs to get after the passer this year. And I think if they're able to do that, I think this defense will uh, be even better than it was at times a year ago when, in spite of a terrible offense, I thought Virginia Tech's defense actually finished pretty decently. So uh, I'm going to go with Antoine Powell-Ryland. Next question, similar. Who is the most impactful freshman and why? Andrew. If you're ready, of course. The most impactful freshman for Virginia Tech. I mean, it, it, it's hard to tell, right? Because in an ideal world, we are talking about a situation where freshmen, generally speaking, aren't going to play that big of a role. If there is one who can, I would say it's going to be Aiden Green. I mean, this is a wide receiver room that hopefully has a little bit of depth right now. You know, when you go Jennings, Lane, Felton, Gosnell. But it's hard not to have stick out that when Brent Pride talked about that tier two group, Aiden Green wasn't included. He was included there, right? This is a guy that had initially, uh, you know, been dancing with Luke Fickle. Fickle goes from Cincinnati, Wisconsin. Suddenly he's in the boat. Four-star guy, big, talented. Provides a little bit of a dynamic physically that it doesn't seem like anyone else on the roster or at least it's kind of slated to get playing time on the outside does. So I think he could make an impact in an ideal world. He either steps in right away and makes a huge impact, or he doesn't like to save that red shirt because Ali Jennings isn't going to be here next year. And you know, for the likes of a guy like Jalen Lane, you don't necessarily know how long everyone wants to play college football for. So it's good to have him waiting in the wings. But you know, I, I can see a situation where especially you know, the first few weeks goes on, uh, the stuff that happens even in-season practice can't be overlooked, right? You know, you can see guys make a mid-season resurgence, uh, you know, within the roster if they are a younger guy. Because being a true freshman at wide receiver, at least in my eyes, as someone who's followed Virginia Tech, I mean, that's the position to make an impact, right? Defensive back or wide receiver where it's speed and physical ability, you know, matter a little bit more than size necessarily does at the other positions. Think back to Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, impact players as true freshmen. Uh, Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, impact players as true freshmen. This kid's got game. He can, he can play. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him out there, especially because he's not like a totally undersized guy where you just can't imagine it happening right away. Like, you know, you might have said with the Tucker Holloway last year, who, by the way, end up making a huge impact on special teams. So, yeah, I'll go with Aiden Green here. Good answer. Rick? I'm split. I'm going to lean towards Mose Phillips at safety. He's probably going to get a fair amount of snaps back there. He won't be. He's not a starter, but he's going to play a fair bit. He'll probably play a lot on special teams. Uh, someone who impressed in the spring game, very physical, uh, has the the range to keep up with collegiate receivers. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, George Balance as well at linebacker. Uh, Walk-on guy, legacy guy, apparently has been working himself into the two-deep at Mike, potentially. Uh, could, be a, could be an interesting play. Probably going to get a lot of run on special teams. And depending on how things fare in the linebacker core this year, could find himself getting some snaps. 
walk on true freshman in the two D. Am I hearing that correctly? I don't know if he's in the two deep right now, but he has been working his way towards that towards the end of fall camp. I got one. Uh Caleb Woodson is my pick. So Caleb Woodson is a really athletic defender uh, from my neck of the woods. He's up and from the Woodbridge Manassas area uh, where I grew up, uh, played football at Stonewall, really good player. Uh, he's been working out at the star position in Virginia Tech's defense, which is basically like that outside backer nickel hybrid type role. Uh, I think Woodson could end up in the two deep uh, by sometime in the middle of the season. I haven't seen a depth chart yet for Old Dominion. I'm curious to see kind of where he's slated there. Uh, I know that'll be released in the next day or two by the time this podcast is out. So trust me, I'm not an idiot. We'll take a look and see where he's at. But I think Woodson is a guy who could potentially make an impact this year on, on the defense. I think he'll certainly play special teams, uh, but I think he'll be able to make an impact on defense. If he's in too deep and doesn't play that much, that's fine. You can preserve his red shirt. But I think he's athletic enough. He's got good size. I think he's got an opportunity to play. And he brings the versatility to a defense that is certainly moving in that direction, right? I think we're seeing more and more guys, especially in the linebacker room, um, who are proving to be a bit more versatile now, right, under under Brent Pry. So that's going to be my pick. And we'll kind of see how that pans out. Uh, all good here? Yeah. I'll just say that in an ideal world, as few true freshmen are playing as possible. Yeah, I think last year we were in a spot where more true freshmen had to play because, I mean, probably number one was just seeing what he had on the roster. But number two, I mean, Tech wasn't in a spot from a uh, talent depth perspective where they could let a bunch of older guys play because there just weren't a ton of them left. (laughs) So a lot of freshmen played last year. Ideally, you'd have a lot less freshmen playing this year. But if you think one's going to make an impact, you're still in a rebuild. Like, go ahead and throw them out there and see what they can do. Uh, Next question. Virginia Tech reaches its ceiling, whether you think that's six wins, seven wins, eight wins, whatever you think that is. Virginia Tech reaches its ceiling if what happens? Ricky? It could be multiple things. I'm sure it's going to be, but. Um, I'm, uh, that, that's cheating. I'm going to go with one. Okay. Um, Virginia Tech will get to their ceiling if the offensive line plays well. This is a group that's been, I don't know if overlooked this offseason is the right word, but really I haven't seen a lot of people writing about the offensive line and how scary this group is and scary in a bad way. Like there's a lot of inexperience up front. Uh, for for all of his issues last year, Jesse Hansen at least gave you a lot of experience. He's gone. Um, Unexpectedly, by the way. Yeah. So they're still going to, I mean, Bob Schick, is starting, which scares me, <laughs> if we're being quite honest. Um, Jack Hollyfield did not take the steps that we had hoped, and that's another problem. So you've got one tackle that's got some experience but has struggled. You've got another tackle with very little experience. Uh, Cade Moore. He's probably the best guy on this offensive line, but he can't do it alone, especially on the interior. So if the offensive line plays well, I think that gives a huge boost to whoever's at quarterback, obviously. 
It'll help them in the run game, which is critical. It'll keep the defense off the field. The defense, I think, is good enough to make a bowl game and maybe get to seven. But I have big questions about the offensive line. So if the offensive line answers those questions, I think they can get to their ceiling. Andrew. Well, I definitely echo exactly what Ricky's saying, right? Like, first of all, the offensive line has to have shown improvement across the board, and they have to all stay healthy because it's just hard to imagine a scenario where the depth is there at this point. It really is. So maybe there's like one or two depth pieces that could fill in, uh, you know, across various permutations and, the staff knows exactly how to do that. I don't know. I feel like, you know, to get ahead of myself, that's what the floor looks like. It really feels like you're one or two offensive line injuries away from things really going south. Uh, on the other side, I think it comes down to offensive chemistry, right? And in the minds of Virginia Tech fans, especially fans I talked to and, you know, a lot of members of the media and, you know, essentially like podcast media. Everything's aligning, right? Jennings is going to come in and be as good as he was at ODU at Virginia Tech. And Jalen Lane's going to be a huge impact player. And Tootin's going to be off by a huge, you know, different dimension out of the backfield. It's like that might not necessarily all be true, right? Like talent doesn't always necessarily translate over. If you remember, I can't even remember the guy's name. It was the kid from Villanova a few years ago. He was an FCS All-American at wide receiver. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then... Yeah, he's on the field for Tech. Yeah, his dad, his dad passed away, tragically, uh, before the season started. Was that... Was that 21? Or yeah, 20? it was two. That was two... I believe that was two seasons ago. It was 20... And 21? Yeah, somebody... I mean, we got people screaming uh, at I, us I'm, uh, right now. I'm pulling up the roster. Hold Somebody on. look that up, and uh, Andrew, you can conclude your point if unless you got anything else to add. Yeah, either way, y'all know who I'm talking about if you do know who I'm talking about. Doesn't always translate. Now, obviously, there's outside... Changa Hodge. Changa Hodge, thank you. Changa yep. Hodge. There you go. But you have these new players playing in a new offense. You know, it's not necessarily going to mesh well right away, and, and some of the more winnable games are at the forefront. If it doesn't all come together almost immediately, Virginia Tech's behind the eight ball. You certainly can't lose to Old Dominion. And if you want to reach your ceiling, per se, I would say that ceiling is probably at a maximum eight wins. If you're going to get to eight wins, that's going to require winning three of the first four contests. It's beating ODU. It's beating Marshall and taking at least one of the two of Rutgers and Purdue. And if this offense isn't clicking immediately, it's probably not going to happen. So you need this offense to click, and you need to click relatively quickly. You need that talent to really translate to the ACC level, which isn't that tall of a task, but it's not a given for you know a guy in Felton, that played for Norfolk State, or a guy like Tootin who played for A&T, or even a guy like Lane who played for Middle Tennessee, though you do have a larger sample size of him doing it against competition similar to that that Virginia Tech will play. So I think it's all about 
how it translates in chemistry, and I don't think any of that's guaranteed. So if Virginia Tech to reach the ceiling, basically all has to work near perfectly immediately. So really quick, the best part about looking up this roster was seeing that Kelly Lawson was a wide receiver that year. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I need to. Do we clarify whether that's 20 or 21? 21. Yeah. I mean, I, look at the two deep on that and see who's left. That would be fun. Uh, no, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> not many people. Uh, I need to amend. I need to amend a statement I made about three minutes ago. Uh, Shanga Hodges' dad did not die. That was Jaden Blue's dad before the start of last season. Jaden Blue transferred from Temple. I mixed up uh, in other Philadelphia base school. Uh, Jade Blue transferred from Temple. Shango Hodge transferred from Villanova a couple of years ago. Two Philadelphia kids. Uh, I screwed that up, so my bad. Uh, so anyway, also another a slight correction. Hodge was here both twenty and twenty-one. There we go. Uh, See, at least we're intellectually honest on this. Podcast. Real time. We'll tell you when we're wrong. Courtesy of the big wigs at CNN. <laughs> yes correct real-time fact checking in lieu of pre-podcast research that's correct <laughs> which lo and behold this is the most extensive uh research we've done pre-podcast i think with us screwing something up in real time and then having to go back and amend the record maybe we should just prepare a little bit less i digress uh i agree with what you guys said about the offensive line for obvious reasons totally agree that i think virginia tech without a pass rush just to kind of tie back to the last question virginia tech without a pass rush i think the defense will be fine and is good enough to get to a bowl game even if the pass rush isn't like getting home every time because i do think the secondary is pretty good so i think virginia tech's defense will be fine the questions are on the offensive line right and number one we haven't seen this alignment literally ever so do we know for a fact that Parker Clements is going to work out at right tackle? The Bob Schick point at right guard, we have not seen him play FPS football for Virginia Tech in meaningful snaps. We just haven't seen it. Caden Moore, who's been kind of dancing around between guard and center, he's now got to anchor the middle of the offensive line. What does that look like? You got his brother, Braylon Moore, who should be pretty good if he's as good as his brother, Caden, right? Uh, on the left side, and then Xavier Chaplin, who the entire program's high on. And, you know, Chaplin probably would have played last year if he didn't get a little bit banged up. What does he look like at left tackle protecting the blind side of Grant Williams? Uh, Grant Williams. I did I did this on the uh, Sons of Saturday podcast. I'm sorry. Grant Wells. I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, shout out Grant Williams. He went and signed with the Mavericks in the offseason. Another <laughs> real-time correction. Anyway. Uh, podcast is a train wreck. I'm well, I, we're correcting it in real time. It's fine. I'm concerned about the offensive line, is the bottom line. And if there are injuries and shuffling that needs to occur just beyond performance, I hate to using caveat of like, oh, this group could be good if they're healthy. Sure. Uh, but offensive line is a position group where there are going to be inevitable injuries, and tech gets really young really fast in the two deep. And we just really don't know what they look like there, right? Like at offensive tackle, if Chaplin gets hurt and you got to move Clements over to left tackle, you're probably playing a freshman or a redshirt freshman at right tackle. What does that look like? Like, I'm not feeling too good about that, depending on where it falls in the schedule. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I don't want to talk about it right now. Yeah, but it's it's real. <laughs> 
I, given the position group and the propensity for injuries, it is something that, you know, obviously we have discussed at length this offseason. We'll kind of continue to discuss as the season goes on. Number one, if this group's healthy, how does it look? And then if there's shuffling that needs to occur, how good do we feel about the replacements? Like, that's my biggest question mark about this team is whether or not they're going to be able to protect Grant Wells consistently, whether or not they're going to be able to get a consistent push up front for the running game. It's the number one question. And Andrew, one more thing I want to address with your point that I thought was a good one is I think Virginia Tech fans assuming that this team's going to reach their ceiling are assuming that all of the transfers that came in, every single one of them is going to make an impact. History tells us that not every single transfer makes an impact like fans are expecting. It just simply doesn't happen. One of these guys, you know, even if there's no disappointments among the group, we're talking like Canteen, Jennings, uh, Lane, Felton, Tootin. Even if these guys all end up being like decent to good, you know, what if Allie Jennings isn't a thousand yard receiver? What if he's like a 500 yard receiver? That'd be a disappointment, right? But what if he had like seven or eight touchdowns? So he had like a decent, decent year. He scored a lot, but wasn't like the big play receiver. A lot of people thought, what if, you know, Jalen Lane isn't like the difference maker in the slot that we think he can be, but he's like having an okay year. Like if all these guys are just okay, is that going to be good enough for Virginia Tech to make a bowl game? Like we don't necessarily know the answer to that. So I think it's a really good point you made, Andrew. I think it's something that fans are probably underestimating a little bit. I think people are just thinking that and a lot of it has to do with optimism going into a new season. I totally get that. I, I've fallen victim to that several times and, you know, <laughs> ready to lie again. If Virginia Tech looks really good against Old Dominion, you know, we'll all be flying high going into the Purdue game. We know nothing about Purdue. We'll get into the schedule here in a minute. We know nothing about Purdue. Uh, but, you know, I think there's something to be said for just having you know, some questions about whether or not these transfers are going to hit their ceiling. So that's just another minor concern for me as well. But I guess conversely, guys, and I, I this could be pretty quick, just considering the extent to which we talked about the offensive line. Virginia Tech hits its floor if what happens. My thing would be the offensive line, because I think no matter who the quarterback is, I think this season really is a a make or break year up front. I think the offensive line's good. I think Tech will make a bowl game. I think the offensive line's bad. I think this could get, it kind of depends on how bad they are. It could get pretty ugly quick, I think. Couldn't have said it better myself. I I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, but I'll say it again for those that weren't listening or just might not remember everything that I say on every podcast, which I don't know, maybe you should start writing stuff down. But <laughs> you look at Brendan Armstrong in 2021 versus 2022. The guy looked different. What changed? The offensive line. Say the same thing about Phil Dracovic at Boston College. What changed? Didn't have anyone blocking for him. Even in the NFL, there's examples year over year. Protection goes away. The guy looks worse. Grant Wells doesn't seem to have that much wiggle room to begin with. This thing goes under, and it could get really bad if it does. It's going to be because of that offensive line. I think that the defense has a actually a pretty high floor and a decently high ceiling. I think the offense has a lower ceiling, but could still do some things if everything works out. But the floor is, is, you know, halfway to hell. 
right? Like, and if you don't have anyone protecting this kid, whether it be wells or drones, you know, that's when we're talking about everything between Old Dominion and UVA looking not so good. I'm going to take a different approach to this. What is the strongest part of Virginia Tech's team going into this year? The strongest part of the team. Yeah. Defensive backs, probably. Def- I think defensive backs. All right. So what if they stink? I mean, Mansur Delane could have some regression after year one. Dorian Strong's had health issues. Nasir Peoples is kind of straddling the line between a jag to being decent. Uh, what if the default, what if the secondary is not very good? Then this team looks really rough, right? So I'm not saying this is likely to happen because I don't think it's likely to happen, but there is a, a scenario in the multiverse of scenarios, right? That Dr. Strange has viewed six quintillion times. If the, if the secondary struggles or has health issues, the defense is going to be pretty rough. They've got inexperienced linebackers. They've got a lot of question marks up front, tons of experience, but little production. That that defense really starts to struggle if they've got some holes on the back end. And you combine that with an offense that at best is below average, most likely, then we're looking at a really, really, really rough year. Again, I don't think that that's likely. I don't think that's going to happen. But to me, that's how this really gets off the rails. I almost refuse to acknowledge that because... It's like, doomsday. It's doomsday. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, is, that, is the, the, that is the floor. That is the Marianas Trench, right? Like, there is... I, I, I'm not going to say it. I, I had something. I'm not going to say it. I'm, I'm not going to speak it into existence. I'm just going to keep the, my mouth shut. It is that that it. If that scenario were to play out, that's when you start asking yourselves. I'm going to transition us into the next question because I think this is a good transition. This is the existential. It's like the existential question around Brent Pry, right? Like, all right, fine. Is you, he the guy? You've already that. You've already asked it, so I'll say it. If that's what happens. This coaching staff is toast. Toast. Done. I mean, done. Two years in, doesn't matter. They're done. Yeah. There is no coming back from that. Again, yeah. I for the for the sixth time, I don't think this is likely to happen. So let me make that abundantly clear. However, there is a scenario in which that happens. You never know what's going to happen in a 12-game season, especially with college athletes. If the if the secondary struggles, if the defense in general, but specifically the secondary struggles, this defense is going to struggle, and they're not going to be able to support an anemic offense. Well, to your point, Ricky, I think that going into last year, we wouldn't have assumed that a offensive line that stayed pretty much healthy for the entire year was going to be part of that team's downfall. I don't think anyone would have spoken that into existence either, but it happened. That being said, I think if anyone's good, it's the defensive backs. Linebackers could be bad. I think that the 
pass rush and even interior defensive line could struggle a little bit. Hopefully the DBs are good. How far yeah, that'll I take think, you, who knows? I think that they as a unit will be above average. Absolutely. How how much above average? I don't know. But I think they'll be above average as a unit. I agree. Let's move on. Got a good one here. We're, we're getting towards the end, getting towards the schedule. If that's what you're waiting for, it's coming, I promise, the next five or ten minutes here. Next question. Virginia Tech, what will signify to you that Virginia Tech is heading in the right direction under this coaching staff this season? You can take this whatever direction you want, whether it's bowl game, whether it's, you know, you miss a bowl game, but, you know, you're competitive in some in some games that maybe you're not sure you should really be in to begin with. If it's, you know, development of a position group, take it whatever direction you want. What would signify to you that this thing's heading in the right direction under Brent Pry and his staff in year two? It's not wins and losses for me, Mike. It's truly the eye test. And it's an almost emotional wave that's hard to quantify. I know that last year into October, towards the end of the season, for what at least I feel like was the first time in my lifetime, and I guess like at the end of 2021, like when Fuente was dead in the water, you could say the same thing. But it was hard to get yourself up for a Virginia Tech football game, right? Like there was a sense of inevitability there. Steam was going to get waxed. And even though sometimes they didn't, when you watched, it increased that frustration. It was fading away in the second half. It was shooting yourself in the foot with penalties. It was watching an offense that if they did get in a rhythm for a drive, it's like you felt like you were watching a different team than you'd been watching all year. That didn't happen very often. I want to see an offense with a little bit of proof of concept of what we're trying to do here. I want to see young players progress. I don't expect to go out and beat a team like Pittsburgh because say what you will about Pat Narduzzi. He has a good developmental program there. Something that Brent Pry should aspire to emulate. So it's no surprise that in year two, Pitt should probably have a better team than Brent or Yeah. In year two of Brent Pry, Pitt should have a better team in year, whatever of Pat Narduzzi than Pry's got still a rebuild. But you want to see a competitive edge. You want to make it feel like things are better than last year. You obviously want to see an increase in wins. I don't think you necessarily have to make a bowl game. I think that five wins puts you in a gray area where if you do pass that eye test, the coaching staff can still preach to the fan base and preach on the recruiting trail that their vision is heading in the right direction. But it needs to feel like Virginia Tech has a chance in every single game after Florida State, probably. I mean, unless, you know, if Louisville and NC State emerge as a ranked football team, what have you. But, you know, for the most part, you really want to feel like going into almost every game this season, you're not on blowout watch before the game even starts. 
win or lose, whatever. But field a competitive football team that can be competitive in this conference, that can be competitive against what looks to be the lower half of the Big Ten. Well said. Good points. Rick? Uh, Five wins is the minimum for me. If they win five, they better look good in some of those losses. Uh, If they win six, I don't think it really matters about your losses. Six wins is, is just a huge threshold to cross. That The difference from five wins to six wins is pretty dramatic. Uh, it makes a huge difference in the, in the uh, perception of your program. So six wins, I think, is, has got to be the target, has got to be the goal, uh, the, the bare minimum goal this year. But if they win five games and they play a Pittsburgh tough and they almost come out with a win, they don't get you know the doors blown off in Tallahassee, they look good against the team like NC State or Louisville, then all of a sudden you're feeling like, okay, there is some progress. I'm not satisfied, but I can see things trending in the right direction. Six wins, I think, will satisfy a lot of people. I mean, if six wins isn't satisfying you after what we saw a year ago in a three-win campaign uh, that, you know, could have been four or could have just remained at three after that Virginia game, uh, if that were to have take, taken place, if you're not satisfied with, you know, Pry and his staff doubling the win total and getting to a bowl game in year two of a pretty, what everybody expected to be a pretty lengthy rebuild, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, my point is very similar to Ricky's. Anything less than five wins, uh, I'm not sure. I don't want to say... I, I, yeah, I don't want to say it's like indefensible because you got to show me what happened there. Like if they had a bunch of in, like injuries just plagued the roster. We've seen that be the downfall of, you know, thin teams, which is what Virginia Tech is. They're still a little lean in a lot of positions, right? So Tech has injuries at quarterback. If, you know, some key skill guys go down that you're anticipating to be very good, if the offensive line gets really banged up, if you lose some key players in the secondary if that's the reason tech only wins like four games, maybe you give it a little bit more of a pass given what the depth is on this team and kind of what the issues are. But my threshold is very similar to Ricky's in a normal situation. I think it's a five, you know, five wins. You got to show me who the five are and you got to show me that you looked good doing it and you weren't getting totally embarrassed in some of these like 50 50 type games. I'm not even talking about like Florida state. If you go to Tallahassee, if you end up being a five, one team, you go to Tallahassee, you lose by 30 points. It is what it is. If you're, if you win five games and you get blown out, like on the road at Marshall, or you get blown out at BC against a Boston college team that might not oh, be very good. Don't say that. Um, if you lose, <laughs> if you God, God forbid, if you only win five games and you lose to UVA, who could be one of the worst teams in the FBS this year, uh, like those would be kind of red flags in a five-win season. Uh, if you get to six, in my opinion, it's an unqualified success, given what we just witnessed a year ago. It is a success, given where Tech is at recruiting, kind of the momentum they can continue to build. Six wins would be an unbelievable threshold to cross, to Ricky's point. Uh Totally agree with that point. And isn't that so silly, though? Yeah. Six win seasons are what got Justin Fuente fired. 
I mean, I know it's totally different and it's all about the perception and direction. Yeah. But six months ago, people got tired. I know. And this and is not a difficult schedule. I mean, I, I hate to be that guy because I, I complained thoroughly last year about this, about people like, you know, talking about how easy his schedule was and not realizing how bad Virginia Tech was about to be last year. Uh, still, like, it's a manageable schedule. A lot of the teams on this schedule have as many question marks as Virginia Tech does, especially in ACC play. There are a lot of questions in this conference. Virginia Tech has a great opportunity to get to six. It seems ridiculous, Andrew, because that's not the threshold. That's not the standard of this program. Brent Pryne and staff, they're well aware of it. But it is crazy because six wins, to your point, Andrew, is definitely what got Fuente and his staff fired. Kind of became a six-win threshold. And then Pry inherited, like, no seniors. <laughs> like, no upperclassmen, really. Outside of Dax Hollifield, there was, like, nobody. And Jalen Holson, I guess. There was nobody left. And... It's unbelievable. If they get to six wins against a soft schedule, we're all going to be rejoicing because it's going to be like, okay, there's a there are signs of life with this program given the state of, you know, the way Prize recruiting right now and his message and how he's trying to portray this program. They're, hey, Mike, I heard you were uh, friends with Jalen. Have y'all gotten together I, for a round of golf I, uh, this summer? Yeah, um, I think the last the last words. Uh, he said to me, I would, I would have to bleep out on this podcast. So I, <laughs> no, have not gotten together with him recently, but wonder how he's doing. Hope his, uh, foot's healed and he's having all the success that NFL practice squads have to offer. I had to slide that in there. Uh, hey, it's a paying job. Good for him. I, <laughs> fair enough. It's probably better than what I'm doing day to day. All right. Moving on. Schedule. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we have decided that we are going to do this. Originally, we thought we were going to do it like on a monthly increment, right? We talked about September, then October, then November. But the way the schedule falls this year for pretty much all college football teams, a lot of teams are playing five games in September. It's a little weird for us to talk about five games in September because the fifth one is the first game of conference play. We're going to split up four games here. The first four, the non-conference games. Then we'll get into the ACC play right before the bye. Or I guess right uh, the bye is going to be sandwiched there in that second set of games. Then we'll talk about the the last four games of the year in November. Guys, we'll get into Old Dominion in detail here on a on a game preview later this week. But Virginia Tech opens with Old Dominion this Saturday night in Blacksburg. Ricky, I'm going to let you lead off here because you wrote a pretty thorough preview on your settling the score substack. Want to plug that for you? That I read this it. afternoon, I thought was very good. And uh, you went into a bit of detail about Old Dominion. So I'll let you just kind of lead things off without, and we're going to do a full preview later this week. But what should we expect out of this Old Dominion team that's coming to Blacksburg on Saturday night? Well, I appreciate the plug. I'd also appreciate a retweet if you could spare one of those. Uh, I got to my email inbox. You should have subscribed <laughs> to the newsletter as well because I got it's that to my free. inbox. It is for free. Uh, so, Here's the deal. Old Dominion uh, had three options at quarterback this year. Uh, one was a F FCS backup. Another was a Division II starter and a true freshman. So, again, we'll talk about who they picked in a couple days, but you can imagine that none of those options are very good. ODU is missing Ollie Jennings. They're missing Zach Kuntz on offense. The defense was not very good last year. This is a uh, 
this is a bad team. Ricky Ronnie's not having a lot of success adding talent to that to that uh, roster. They've got no idea what what they're going to look like at quarterback over the course of the season. Virginia Tech's not going to have the offense to blow the doors off of ODU, but I think Virginia Tech wins semi-comfortably in this game. The uh, obvious factor is that this is not in Norfolk, right? Like, if this was in my neck of the woods, I would be uh, a lot more nervous. But uh, this is in Lane Stadium. ODU has never won at Lane Stadium. Uh, I'll take the Hokies in a relatively comfortable win. I think I saw a spread was at like 16 and a half. I do think that's a bit high, though. Yeah, yeah, it's bounced around. It's been around two touchdowns most of the, uh, I won't say most of the offseason, but they've been putting out these uh, week one bets since, I'd say, mid-July, and it's it's bounced around a bit. Uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts just on on Old Dominion? Do you have any? Do you want to reserve them for the for the preview podcast? Do you feel good about Virginia Tech in this game? I do. <laughs> like I think Virginia Tech should win this football game. If they don't, my God, that is a hole you gotta dig out of early in the year because this is one of we're the gonna only, have a like, hell of a we're gonna have a hell of an episode if they lose this game. It's, Let's just put it's, it that way. It's only it's one of the only games on the schedule I see is a game that Virginia Tech absolutely like one thousand percent should win. Like this is one of only maybe two on the entire schedule. So, yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you guys. Uh, if they don't win, that is a 15 alarm fire. Yep. So, well, yeah, we'll save it for the next episode. 48 short hours away. So, <laughs> yeah. but, so uh, we're all, are, are we all assuming that we're all going to assume a one and oh here? Yes. Yeah, and I don't want to uh, – I I have a record prediction that I'm going to give, and if we go game by game, I don't want to do the math. So uh, let me just give you kind of my thoughts game to game. I do I do assume one to know here, by the way, but uh, if we get to like mid-October and I'm already like over my win total, I'm expecting I'm going to feel a little jaded. Uh, <laughs> Purdue, Purdue in week two, I'm going to – lead off here with Purdue because I mentioned kind of the successful season question that we had. I kind of mentioned a signature win would be good. Yeah. And while Purdue may not seem like a signature win, it's a power five team coming to Blacksburg. It is a team very similar to Virginia tech in that Purdue just lost a head coach. It's a brand new coaching staff. Ryan Walters is coming in. He's a first-time head coach coming over. Um, he was defensive coordinator at Illinois. He's now the head coach at Purdue. Purdue is breaking in Hudson Card, a quarterback, former quarterback at Louisville. Uh, we'll see how that goes. This Purdue team is one that can certainly be had. And this is one of those 50-50 games that Virginia Tech has on its schedule where if you want to show signs of progress in year two, I think winning a power five game with a team coming in from the big 10, I think would be a pretty good indicator that things aren't going to be the same as they were a year ago. You'd already be assuming an old dominion win. you'd already be two thirds of the way to your win total from a year ago, two weeks into the year, that would feel pretty good. I mentioned the fact that they're kind of in a similar situation. They're going through a bit of a rebuild. Uh, they lost Aiden O'Connell, right? Their quarterback. 
Uh, the defense should be pretty good, we think. Uh, Purdue has fielded a decent defense the last few years. But this is one of those games, I feel like, if you're Brent Pry and you're looking for a signature win in the non-conference, this is as signature as it's po- probably going to get in 2023. So I think this is a really important game for Brent Pry and his staff. And I think it is a winnable game in Blacksburg for Virginia Tech because you do get this game at home and it's the first time head coach. And I think a lot of things can happen here. I'll be concerned if Purdue beats the brakes off of us. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, yes, I would be concerned, but Purdue is returning a bit more than um than one would expect like a, a year one team to return. Um Devin Mockaby is gonna be a problem. I'm curious to see what kind of player Hudson Card is quarterback uh with a completely new new uh new set of surroundings getting out of texas certainly has to help him um something i wrote in my uh preview i am very curious to see how purdue looks against fresno state week one that's a that's a very interesting measuring stick for um for purdue The next two games here, I, <laughs> I'm i going to kind of group them together because uh, these are weird road games. One is against another Big Ten school in Rutgers. The other one is going on the road to Marshall. These are two games that feature head coaches that regardless of what you think of their respective programs and how good the actual teams are, they're going to be well coached. Greg Schiano has his team well coached. Charles Huff certainly has his team well coached. These teams are not without their questions. I think if Virginia Tech wants to make a bowl game, they need to, at the very least, split these two road games. I think you have to go two and two in the non-conference schedule. At worst, to really give yourself an opportunity to make a bowl game, I think anything worse than that is going to be uphill sledding the rest of the year. I do not expect Virginia Tech to win both of these games. I don't. I think these are two really weird environments to go to. The one I point to that I think is probably more winnable would be on the road at Rutgers. I'm a little bit more concerned about going to Marshall. A variety of factors. Number one, Marshall's going to really get up for that game. Number two, this is one of those key, <laughs> key situations you always love to point out where a quarterback is facing his old school and... Grant Wells is a guy who likes to play Superman sometimes. And maybe you want to play a little bit better in that game because naturally, you know, that's, that's the school you left. Maybe you just want to, you know, show you're better, certainly better than you were a year ago, but you want to show that, you know, you're better off kind of without your old school. You just have the impetus to play a little bit better in that game, but sometimes I could backfire on you. I'm a little concerned about that. Charles Huff and Marshall just went up to South Bend last year and beat Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. They were well outgunned in that game, right? Like Notre Dame had much more talent on both sides of the ball. Marshall uglied it up and won that football game. And Virginia Tech does not have Notre Dame's roster. Not the one this year, certainly. And definitely not the one last year. I just have some concerns there. I I think that the Marshall game is going to be real tough. I think Rutgers is certainly losable. 
but I think Virginia Tech has a much better opportunity to win that that first game there against Rutgers in that in that two game road stretch. One quick point about the Purdue game. I just did some quick quick googling. Y'all want to guess the last time Virginia Tech beat a Power Five team that wasn't in the ACC inside Lane Stadium? Power Five team that that's wasn't not that's non conference. Nebraska. Yep. Two thousand nine. Yikes. Yikes. Now, caveat: there's not a ton of examples, right? Virginia Tech hasn't played uh, a Power Five team at home. Um. Very often, I mean, it's right? really been just Notre non conference. It's really just been Notre Dame, the Ohio, Ohio State, State game, and Ohio State, Ohio State fair. Yep. Um, now, if you want to go back to the last non conference Power Five win, uh, per my research, that is 2017 against West Virginia, and prior to that, 2016 against Purdue. Yeah, and that game wasn't even in. Yeah, and that game wasn't even in Blacksburg. Yeah, just, that was on the road. Yeah. So, kind of going back to your point, I agree with you that Rutgers is the more winnable of these two games. Rutgers is really bad. Uh, their quarterback Gavin Wimsat is really bad. At least he has been. Virginia Tech's got enough of their own issues, but I think regardless of who plays quarterback, they're going to be better than Gavin Wimsat. So I would take Virginia Tech over Rutgers. And I 100% agree with you about the Marshall game. That's going to be their Super Bowl. It's probably the biggest game on their schedule as far as they're concerned. Certainly the most important non-conference game for them. Uh, it's going to be a, an interesting environment. Marshall fans are pretty uh, pretty good supporters of their program. Uh, good fan. They have a good fan base. Yeah. So I, I, I would expect that atmosphere to be pretty pretty good for them. So I think Virginia Tech's going to come up short in that one. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's kind of hard to pick your poison, right? But I have Tech taking one of Purdue, Rutgers, and Marshall. I lean towards it being Rutgers. going to be a lot of Tech fans at that game. Weird game. You know, not necessarily... Uh, Big time college football atmosphere and environment. Marshall just has an L written all over it. And it kind of is like you reap what you sow. Cause the reason we're going there is because we scheduled them for what we figured would be an automatic win in 2018. And it was to get to a bowl game given the East Carolina cancel such situ- cancellation situation. So it is what it is, but uh, yeah, I'll take them to win one of those. I lean towards it being Rutgers. Are you guys in agreement or do you feel differently that Virginia Tech needs to go at least two and two in that four game September non-conference stretch to make a bowl game? Absolutely. Do you think two and two? Make a bowl game? Absolutely. Two and two two is the floor, right? I don't see Virginia Tech making a bowl game. I mean, anything's possible, I guess. It's early enough in the year, but I highly unlikely that they win one of those first four games and get the six wins. I agree. If we're agree. looking at one of the first four games, I'm getting nervous about five. I can't necessarily disagree with Hell, you. Hell, I wouldn't even I would say four. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I think if if you start if you start one and three in the non-con and you get to five, it's almost an accomplishment because this next stretch we're going to talk about gentlemen is not ideal. Correct. 
home against Pittsburgh, September 30th, at Florida State, October 7th, home against Wake Forest, October 14th, then a bye week, and then home against Syracuse. We'll get to the Syracuse game in a minute, but let's just talk about the three games before the bye first, just because of how they kind of fall. This is the toughest three-game stretch on the entire schedule, in my opinion. I'm hard-pressed to find one that's a stretch that's more difficult here than than these three games. You won't. Pittsburgh with Phil Dracovic, a quarterback, uh, returning. He played high school football in the Pittsburgh area. Kind of it's a homecoming for him this year, being home at Pittsburgh. We'll see how that pans out. But Pittsburgh, we've already talked about them a bit on this podcast. Narduzzi has fielded a very good defense, basically starting his third year at Pittsburgh on. He basically fielded the defense that he's been fielding at Michigan State before he got there, like real solid. Offensively, they're not without their questions. Izzy Abanikanda's gone. He was an All-American running back. Uh, they're obviously replacing their quarterback, which <laughs> Keaton Slovis wasn't very good for them last year, so this might be an upgrade in Dracovic, but he hasn't been healthy either, and he hasn't been very good when he has been. Yeah, I was going to say, his, he's on his third team in yeah. like four years, so... Not without questions. He's got, he, he's got some potential, but yeah, they definitely have questions on offense. Um, so kind of going back to what we just said, like we're talking about if Virginia Tech wins one game, in in that first four game stretch the season's essentially over because they're going to lose all three of these games in my opinion um pittsburgh is better than they are it they it just is what it is the florida state game it's going to take an act of god to to get a win in that one and despite losing sam hartman i think wake forest is better than virginia tech as well their offense is going to be fine um, they've got three returning. I know they they lost AT Perry, but uh, three returning receivers in Jamal Banks, Taylor Moore, and Donovan Green. Who Donovan caught- Green's he- hurt? I got point. I got to throw that in. Donovan Green got hurt. Continue. Oh, all right. Well, that's that's. But still, I mean, it doesn't doesn't take away from your overall point though. Like the offense will keep humming. Yeah, yeah. I I would be surprised if Wake Forest doesn't continue to put up points. So yeah, Virginia Tech is going to be hard pressed to win any of these three. I'll say that uh, I, you know, Florida State. It's kind of like <laughs> go down there, and if Florida State's is as good as we all anticipate, they're going to be. Uh, and we'll see where Florida State's at after that Clemson game on the twenty third. But we're just going to kind of see where Florida State's at. We're assuming they're going to be like a ten or eleven win team. That's going to be a really really tough game. If for some reason they aren't that, then maybe that game looks a little bit better. But I think either way it's tough, and I think Florida State's going to be very good. By the way, they're my pick to win the conference. Uh, that's one of those games where you're just trying to not get totally embarrassed, just like show yourself well. The Pittsburgh and Wake Forest games are interesting because I could see a scenario where Virginia Tech, you know, they welcome Pittsburgh to Blacksburg. And if Phil Dracovic's not very good at quarterback and they can't really get much out of the running game and they have some questions at receiver too, it's one of those games where if Virginia Tech finds a way to get themselves into the 20s and Pittsburgh's offense is showing that they're not really that much better than they were a year ago. In fact, I think in that scenario, they'd be worse because they don't have Izzy Abandicanda. That game becomes a little bit more winnable on September 30th. That's going to be a tough game. Florida State's obviously tough. Wake Forest is the interesting one because their offense is going to be pretty good still, I think. 
Uh, replacing Sam Hartman with Mitch Griffiths is an obvious step down, not because I don't think Mitch Griffiths is going to be a capable quarterback or a competent quarterback. I think he's going to be pretty good. That offense has proven to really kind of be personnel agnostic, right? Clawson just gets the most out of all his guys there. His scheme's really good. And they have a good receiving core, even, you know, with A.T. Perry graduating, Donovan Green hurt. They have a really good returning receiving core and a lot of veterans across the offense. So they're going to score in that game. Like if Virginia Tech's defense plays really well, you know, Wake still might score 24 to 28 points. And then you're wondering, okay, is Virginia Tech going to score enough, right? That's that's kind of your question. So that's going to be a tough game. I think if Virginia Tech wins two of these three games, they're probably making a bowl game. If they go 0-3, I think it's uphill sledding going into the back half of the schedule. Uh, I think one and two is certainly a plausible scenario here, though. Um, I think Virginia Tech probably goes one and two in this stretch. That's that's where I'm going to plant my flag. Andrew, I know you uh, you stepped away briefly, but I told Ricky we're going to talk about these three games and then before the bye. So I'll let you get your uh, get your thoughts in here before we get into the back half of the schedule, of course. Yeah, you essentially have to hope for one and two uh, through these three. Like you mentioned before, Mike, Florida State's going to be on a different level. Ricky put it well, act of God. <laughs> I mean, in Tallahassee, yeah. it just seems incredibly unlikely. Wake, you'd figure there'd be a little bit less of a talent gap, but a pretty large development gap and experience within the scheme gap. That's what Dave Clawson has made his living doing. Redshirting guys, recruiting the right guys, getting them within the system, getting them to stay, which is why at Wake Forest, the injury of a player like a green or the departure of a Perry isn't going to have as outsized of an impact as you might otherwise think. Because the guys behind him playing in the offense, practicing in the offense, even Mitch Griffiths stepping in at quarterback has a breadth He's of experience. He's looked good in limited, in limited snaps. Yeah, for he, sure. He has a breadth of experience doing it. You just got to hope for one of the two. I don't know which one it's going to be. I'd lean towards Pitt over Wake just because it seems like Virginia Tech's chances to pull an upset are going to be against teams that are playing a more similar style of football to yep. that which is going to yep. be defense heavy, right? Like yep. it's going to be hard for Virginia Tech to win in a shootout against anybody. Yeah. And Pitts just, even if, even if Dracovic has a pretty good year for Pittsburgh, I just don't think they're going to be as explosive offensively as Wake Forest. And I just think if you're trying to get into a shootout with teams, I don't think any of us have the confidence that Virginia Tech's going to win a lot of shootouts with based on what we saw in the offense last year. And they could improve drastically and still be like, 80th in the country offensively and that would just be like a very average offense the more of a rock fight the better agree <laughs> agree defense i mean this is brent pry like he's coming from penn state they make their hay in rock fights like they've had some good offenses at penn state but they've made their hay getting to those low scoring defense heavy games where you know you make a play or two with some of your better recruits like that's what Fry's trying to build at Virginia Tech you, yeah we're not gonna win many track meets I'm not sure how many track meets we're gonna win with him as head coach quite honestly and that's not a shot at Pry at all it's just the way I think the team's gonna be built let's talk about the yeah. final five game stretch after the bye week 
Syracuse at Louisville at Boston College, home against NC State at Virginia. Uh, a good mix here. I would say there are some winnable games. There are several 50-50 games, and there's a pretty tough home game there with NC State on the 18th of November. Andrew, lead us off, just in case you had a point on the last thing. I cut you off, I realize, so continue. Oh, I was just going to tell people, you know, in case you're just completely misled as to what this is going to look like. This ain't going to be Cliff Kingsbury offense. This ain't going to be the late, great Mike Leach. You better hope and you better hope this team has the ability to play solid defense, run the ball, short routes, short in the football game, and that's how we're going to pull upsets or near upsets in these 50-50 games. I just don't see the track meet thing happening, especially, you know, given what we know about the offensive line and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, but going into our uh, our final five game stretch, you gotta hope for a uh, a three and five finish. UVA should be the auto dub. I don't know what's going on there, but it just looks terrible. Like bad looks for Tony Elliott. They are depleted. Do bring it back a lot of their defense, but the key players are gone. Offensively, it's going to be a mess. UVA needs to be a win. Talk about ways that things could go really bad. Lose to them. Uh, Syracuse, Dino Babers is on the rocks. You got to hope on a Thursday night that's a victory. I don't like our chances against NC State, especially uh, with Brandon Armstrong heading over there. I think he's going to look a lot more like he did in 2021. In 2022, so I I think Boston College on the road is the spot, the spot I'm picking to uh, sit at the table for what my ultimate prediction is of a five and seven season for Virginia Tech. Rick, the Syracuse game they better win because I'm probably taking my girlfriend to that game, and I would be really upset if I have to take her to a loss. Um. Almost every game in this group is a toss-up, except for the NC State game. I know Virginia's bad, but I'm still going to classify that as a toss-up game. I think they beat Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse is going to look a lot different without Sean Tucker on offense. Uh, I think that that's a huge, huge loss for them. I have a feeling Louisville's going to be pretty good, relatively speaking. Um, that game's on the road. They've got um, a transfer from California, Jack Plummer, who had a really good year last year. I think Louisville wins that game. The Boston College game is a bit of a trap game because I, I don't think Boston College is going to be very good, but they're going to be playing in the middle of 86 fans at this game. So they, they're really going to have to to get themselves hyped up for it because there's not going to be much of an atmosphere to play. Weird environment, yep. Yeah, every year it is. It, it, if you don't get the red bandana game for Boston College... It's a rough environment to go play it's, in. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. Uh, NC State's probably a loss. NC State's a really well-coached team. I feel like they always get every bit out of their roster. They're, they're they're never an elite team. I'm not sure they ever will be under Dave Dorn, but they get the most out of their guys. 
just about every every year. So I think they're going to be relatively good. The Virginia game, this this Virginia team's really bad. Like so Andrew, bad. Like Andrew said, they they lost some key guys on defense. That's going to be a huge problem. Their top four receivers are gone from last year, and they brought in one guy from Northwestern to fill that spot. They're going to be so that, bad. Combine that with a Monmouth transfer at quarterback in Tony Musket, which, hey, he's got a great A for the name. And but, and was and was good at Monmouth, but it's an it's ACC Monmouth. jump. It, it's, it's Monmouth. Monmouth. It's yep. Monmouth. Also, yep. he was being pushed by a true freshman in camp and almost lost the starting job. So yep. he can't be but so good. I'm with Andrew. I got five and seven. I think this is where they're going to fall. I think there is some play in the joints with which games they win and lose. The Louisville game is a possible win, but I doubt it. It's a huge swing game. Uh, Marshall is a big swing game, I think, as well. Uh, but yeah, five and seven is where I'm at for for the for this year. Hate to just align with you guys and always agree because we're just agreeing on a lot of stuff lately. I'm also going with five and seven. Would you rather me have picked nine wins? No. <laughs> I was listening last year. I was listening to last year, like sleep deprived. And I was like, did I hear that? I was like, am I dreaming? Nine wins. Uh, Okay. I, I, let me, let me start with this final five game stretch here. I'm, I want to talk about Syracuse and NC state together uh, because Syracuse had Robert and I as their offensive coordinator last year. Robert and I is a former offensive coordinator at UVA with Brandon Armstrong. Um, and I was at Syracuse for a year. Now he's at NC State reunited with Brian Armstrong, of course. Syracuse's offensive coordinator now is Jason Beck. Uh, Jason Beck was the co-OC at UVA with Anai and Brian Armstrong, right? Yep. The reason I bring all this up is because the offense is going to look different without Sean Tucker, Ricky. Garrett Schrader uh, was the quarterback, is the quarterback. He played the quarterback position in the pinstripe bowl without Sean Tucker, who sat the game out. Jason Beck was the offensive coordinator in that bowl game. Uh, Garrett Schrader threw the ball 51 times. That was 15 more than his career high. I don't think Garrett Schrader should be throwing the ball 51 times based on what I've seen out of him. I think he's at his best when he's running and throwing sparingly. He's you, a you remember, fine quarterback. What was it? A couple years ago when Schrader came into the game in, in lane stadium and Syracuse won that game. Yes. I don't remember what year that was. Uh, made... Fuentes, Fuentes Wong song. So 21. He yeah. made such a difference with his legs. And yeah. that's the one thing that worries me is Virginia Tech having the depth along the line and at linebacker to manage that. Yep. It's basically November at that point. Um, But outside of Garrett Schrader, I don't think the offense has a lot to offer. No, no, they do not. I that's a game the tech needs to win Thursday night. Got to win it. There, there's a few swing games on this inside lane stadium. Tech needs, tech needs to start winning at home again. Like I, it's, it's been a while. If we're being honest with ourselves, it's been a while since playing at home meant something to the yep. actual result of the football game. Yep. Virginia Tech has done a tremendous job as a athletics program of maintaining an atmosphere for the start of these games, despite the program winning four to seven games every year. Yep. 
But when it comes to the third quarter and you've got 10 points on the board and you're down by 10 points or 11 points, it's really hard for the crowd to make an impact. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta start winning games at home. Syracuse is a team that's down. I don't think they're going to be very good on defense either. Virginia tech's got to win that one. The reason I bring up Syracuse and NC state together also is because those are the two final home games in that last stretch. And I think Virginia tech needs to go at least one and one in those to try to make a bowl game. They got to beat Syracuse. Um, NC State's going to be tougher. Not impossible. Remember, Virginia Tech had this NC State team on the ropes last year. NC State is going to be very similar to Pittsburgh in that they're very well coached. I just think they have a higher ceiling on offense with Brian They've Armstrong and Robert and I. They got the better quarterback. So uh, I think that'll set up better for NC State. But again, it's in Blacksburg. We'll see what happens. Louisville's a swing game. It's one of several on the schedule. But if you if I had to pick three games on the schedule there, swing games, it would be Purdue, Wake Forest, and Louisville. Those are three gigantic. You know, we can argue Wake Forest. You know, you can make arguments at Syracuse. I'm telling you, that Louisville game is so so infinitely important for a number of reasons. Louisville is a again another first year head coach situation. Admittedly, you would rather, much rather have Louisville early in the season than late because I think that thing will be humming a bit better in November uh, with a first-year head coach potentially than it would be early in the year. I don't think Louisville is that good of a team. I think they have a very soft schedule to the point where like they could win 10 games, end up in Charlotte, not really belong there. Like If they just kind of play a similar caliber of football than they did a year ago. Ricky's right, Jack Plummer. Uh, first of all, has familiarity with Brom. Uh, he was a quarterback at Purdue, got beat out by Aiden O'Connell, transferred to Cal, saved Justin Wilcox's job, transfers now uh, back to Louisville to reunite with Brom. Uh, and they, that, they've got a lot of returning talent on offense, plus Jamari Thrash. Yep. Yeah, they, they, have, a, they have a good offense. Uh, that will be a tough game on the road. It is a swing game. At BC, really tough environment, a weird game. A tough that environment is, for all the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons, <laughs> not because you're going to go in there and it's going to be like a hornet's nest. You're going in there and it's just you, you might fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's one of those like noon like read a library book games on <laughs> Raycom Sports, and we're going to have to all suffer through. Remember that. the night game they had, and I think it was seventeen when Josh Jackson was playing, and. It was, I mean, this was a primetime game. I think it was on ACC Network, and there were still barely fans there. Yeah. It's tough to get up for games in Chestnut Hill. They're not the Red Bandana game. You got to win that one, in my opinion, to make a bowl game. Uh, I talked about NC State there. And then at UVA, they're going to be so horrendous, <laughs> so bad. Like, could they bottom out and go 1 in 11? This isn't me being a hater. I'm like actually serious. I think they could go one and 11 like their easiest game on the schedule. is probably William and Mary and William and Mary was the fourth best team in the FCS last year. That's no gimme over under two and a half wins for UVA. Right. Now. I, I think I said on my ACC podcast, we did the preview. I think I said three and nine. So I think I'm going to go over slightly. I don't think it gets as bad as one and 11, but they're going to be really bad. They're going to be really bad. Um, I have Virginia tech at five and seven. I just don't have the confidence in the middle of the schedule. Uh, 
I don't have the confidence at the outset. I think a lot of people think that, you know, Virginia Tech's just going to win three out of these first four. I don't. I think if they do, that'd be great. I think t- I, if Tech goes three and one in the non-con, I think they make a bowl game. If they don't, it becomes tougher. You're, you're going to have to probably win Wake and Syracuse, and you're going to have to pick off a Louisville or an NC State because Florida State's a guaranteed L. It just becomes harder to do the math if you don't go three and one in that non-conference schedule. It really does, just because there's a lot of uncertainty with some of these teams, but there's a lot of proven coaches, a lot of proven depth. You know, teams that you know, teams that have coaches that have been there a while. We know what they got. There's really only a couple games on the schedule, in my opinion, that Virginia Tech has like greater than an eighty percent chance to win, and that's Old Dominion, the UVA. Outside of that, I just do not see this schedule with the toss-ups with a bunch of certainty that this is going to be a bowl team. I'm going to go five and seven. Show me the five. I think this will be a better, more watchable product. I would be very surprised if this was not a more watchable product and a more interesting season. I think if it's not, it means really bad things for this coaching staff moving forward. I don't think that you're in a situation where Pry is going to get fired anytime soon. But if this is like a three and nine, four and eight season, we're going to have some serious question marks. We're going to have a huge buyout that you're not going to want to pay for a couple of years. And you're going to have to try to sell, still sell hope on the recruiting trail. Man, I don't see it. But if you, if you win five, I think some fans would be disappointed. It's not a bowl game. We'll call that season a failure. I wouldn't. It's a two win improvement from last year. It would show that there is progress being made still. Uh, even though you're falling short of a bowl game, which at minimum is a standard at Virginia Tech, at minimum you got you have to win a bowl game on consistent base or go to a bowl game on consistent basis. But I think five wins would be, uh, maybe not like a successful year, but like an adequate season to show progress. So that's where I'm at with it. I'm like half asleep at this point, but show me how they play against Old Dominion and Purdue, and then going into Rutgers. We can amend this a little bit. We could try this again. With all the unknowns, it's really hard to make anything resembling a prediction. Yep. It can be two games for tech or two games for everyone else. And I'll have a little bit better of an idea of how this thing's gonna shake out. If it starts two and oh, I think we probably feel collectively a lot better about tech splitting the next two. You know, I think if tech beats Old Dominion and looks convincing doing it, if they beat Purdue at home let's say by seven to 10 points, I think we're probably feeling a bit better about them splitting the next two games. Yeah. I am fully lying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if they beat Purdue flat out, I think they're going to win three out of four in the non-con. And then I think we're on bowl watch. If they, you know, honestly, <laughs> Hashtag bowl Purdue, watch. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because like team Virginia tech teams have disappointed me before where they got to a hot start and they suck the rest of the year. But if Tech gets off to a two and zero start, I think we're on bowl watch already. It seems preposterous, but <laughs> I mean, Purdue is like the, in my opinion, Purdue is the most losable game in the four game stretch. Tech might not even be favored against Marshall. Like I, I tweeted that kind of as a joke last week, but I'm also semi serious. Like they might not be favored against Marshall. Like that's a legitimate thing. In the preseason ESPN football power index, they are ranked lower than Marshall. So, yeah, 
I don't know, five and seven is who I'm going to go with. We'll, we'll hedge a little bit, come off the nine wins Ricky predicted last year. And I think I, I think I, I wasn't on the preview pod last year because, you know, I was dadding. But I think I would have said like six or seven wins last year. So that wasn't even close to correct either. Uh, I just want to lower my expectations a little bit while still seeing some progress. Anything else, guys? We good? We We're going to record again in like two days. Two yeah, no. We got a whole other episode to record. and It'll be quicker. Which, which will actually be tomorrow at this point. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's very funny. Yes, it, it will be because it's now after midnight uh, East Coast time. So when we record on Wednesday, yeah, it actually technically will be tomorrow. <laughs> We're less than 48 hours away now. <laughs> Same. Uh, we know how time works. Anyway. <sighs> All right. I guess we'll talk Old Dominion preview. We're here. Season's here, guys. Yeah, I'm, I am excited. I'm looking forward to the season. A uh, lot of optimism this off season about recruiting and various things. Ultimately, you got to put some dubs on the board. So it starts this week. Rate, review, I, subscribe, by the way. Yeah, five wins. You still, you know, your vision still kind of speaks to hope and yeah, getting absolutely. it back in the right direction if you get to five. So wouldn't totally be disappointed. Andrew, any parting thoughts? Wild world we live in. Five is interpretable. Six is a huge victory. Four is inexcusable <laughs> in a sport that comes down to one penalty or inches here or there. You know, it's easy to oversimplify things. I think the eye test will show you one way or the other what direction this thing is going in. Thousand percent. Guys, we'll be back later this week to preview ODU. Until then, go Hokies. Mm-hmm.